0: Hello, you're listening to Sarah Archer in episode 177 of the Speaking Club podcast. I'm going to share one of my own quotes today that I think applies whenever you're speaking, whether that's a pitch, a talk, webinar, whatever. And it's this. Make them care who you are before you share who you are. And you can take that to the bank. I started this podcast for two reasons. Because I want to help people recognize the power of stories and humor in speaking, and because I believe it's your message that counts, not the number of ums and ahs you use. There are some organizations that want to create robot speakers. They want you to sacrifice your personality in order to speak perfectly. But I want to let you know that you can be yourself and a sensational speaker. So if you want to be a speaker that connects and engages authentically through stories, a speaker that gives value as well as a great performance, then welcome home. Well, hey there. I hope you're well and life is good. I'm very excited because next week we're kicking off another five day snackable story challenge. So if you want to increase your audience engagement, get some great new content and ramp up your storytelling skills, then you'll want to join us. And you can find out more about it, including the fab results previous challenges have got and grab your space at saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge. Now, one person who tells a good story is Tim Box, who is my guest on this week's show. Now, I was introduced to Tim's work by a client and friend and previous podcast guest, Vicky Martin. And she was blown away by the work he was doing and suggested I watch his TEDx talk. So I did. And not only was I impressed by his speaking skills, but his message around the way we look at and treat anxiety was really powerful. So I knew I had to get him on the show. Tim is a remedial hypnotist and mind coach specializing in helping clients get control of their anxiety response. And he's run a full time therapeutic practice in the UK for more than 10 years. And although Tim experienced anxiety when he was younger and the impact it can have on your choices and freedom, it took him a few years to discover his calling in this field. But when he did, though, he began to shake things up. In 2017, he released his first book, Clear Your Head, How to Enjoy Life Without Anxiety Getting in the Way, which went on to become an Amazon bestseller. And in 2019, he gave the TEDx talk I was talking about, which was on how to stop feeling anxious about anxiety. And that's now had over three quarters of a million views. He's also the creator of The Control System, which is a method of mind coaching, coaching, that helps people overcome the psychological barriers that limit their personal growth. And he teaches this method all over the world. He's got practitioners who are qualified in his method in the UK, in Europe, in the US and so on. I know you're going to get some light bulb moments from this show. So let's switch over to the interview without further delay. Welcome to the speaking club, Tim Box.
1: Hello, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Good to see you, Sarah.
0: splashing I've got lots of questions for you. And I, I'm i going to put a link in the show notes to your TEDx talk, which I watched and which I thought was a great example of a lot of the things that I teach people. So I'll be sending people to have a look at that as well. But first of all, can you share the story of your own experience with anxiety? Because that's what the TEDx talk is is about Uh, how it led you to do what you do today as well
1: yeah absolutely yeah so my my background in terms of dealing with anxiety is very much to do with social anxiety and um, it's not like I wouldn't I wouldn't call it you know the sort of anxiety that was like daily panic attacks you know I I you know these are the sort of people that I would see as clients and I recognize it's not like that but it was very much when I was coming to the latter stages in my schooling and then moving on to university sort of time, I started to suffer quite a, quite a debilitating level of social anxiety where it really sort of uh, impeded what I felt I could do. And, um, you know, and how much I could engage with other people. If there was any sort of situation, group situations in particular, whether it be social or study or business or anything like that, um, it would very much be a red flag for me, and it would, it would, yeah, I would, I would tend to shy away from those things, as it were. Um, and I know, I know where it came from. There was a, a modicum of bullying that I got when I was, uh, when I was around sort of fifth form, sort of uh, time at school, and it just, you know, my, my mind just learnt a real aversion response to being around a group of people or t- or too many people um, that, that might potentially lead to negative experiences for me. So um, I, I kind of had to overcome that. I was fortunate though, in that I didn't then go to a doctor or go somewhere where I got diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, because when I was dealing with it, I sound really old now but back in the day uh, it wasn't something that I was really aware was a thing it was just the way I felt you know and I I I can't even remember if I thought other people probably felt similarly or not really but it wasn't ever something that I framed in my own mind as a medical issue so I, I kind of did those hard yards of working out what I needed to change about the way I thought and the way I was behaving to to get around this if that makes sense and 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 it would be unfair of me to say, oh, I really put a lot of work in. I did a lot of reading. I did a lot of investigating because I didn't. I just kind of, I'm a fairly good critical thinker, if that makes sense. I I did philosophy at university, you know what I mean? So I'm I'm very good at sort of let's avoid assumptions and let's work out what's actually going on and what do I need to change? And ultimately, the thing that I needed to change was that I needed to realize it, it didn't actually matter that much what other people thought of me. Um, when that penny dropped, you know, and, and this is the thing, I don't know how it dropped. I don't know what it was, what moment I learned that or, or what it was, you know, it wasn't like this big revelation moment where the, the clouds parted and the sun shone down on me. But I, I definitely recognized that that was the thing that I started to realize that allowed me to go into situations and be okay just being me um, and allowing those that like me to like me and those that don't to not, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. God. And that is so much, you know, so many people I come across don't get that insight or, yeah. or f- freedom. And it's something that I'm working with people all the time on because, you know, I teach people how to do speaking and storytelling, but I can't ever stop people judging them. You know, it's it's never going to, that's never going to happen. You know, once you have that insight that it doesn't matter and that you're not going to please everyone and not everyone's mm. going to like you, it really makes a difference. So are you going to say something?
1: we don't like everyone you know no, there's nobody on the planet likes everyone else on the planet so it'd be weird to think everyone would like us you know and yet that's what we're striving for isn't it to try and make as many people like us as possible but i don't know i think it was telling for me that it happened around school time because when we're at school we have limited options on the people we can hang out with because we kind of get put in a classroom of people and then our survival depends on social acceptance within that environment you know so like like acceptance from others is our number one priority above of even health and things like that you know this is this is why we end up I don't know smoking as a teenager because even though we know smoking's bad for us the most important thing is to look cool to fit in to to be the right the cool person you know so we would make decisions that prioritize our social acceptance and our popularity over everything else you know Um, and I think that's telling for me because it made sense to then be anxious about what other people thought of me in that environment. Because I couldn't also, I couldn't just decide, you know what, I won't go in today. I won't go and see those people, you know, because I didn't, I didn't get to make the decision. My mum was making that decision. You know what I mean? I couldn't just say, (laughs) you know what, mum, I'm having a bit of a hard time. I don't think I'll go in today, you know, because she would be like, you you bloody are going in, you know, that sort of thing. So as an adult, though, all of this changes. First of all, my job now is not to fit in with other people and blend in and keep my head down and be like everyone else my job is to stand out because that's what we do as adults to to get somewhere you know it's like you teach public speaking why are we public speaking because we want our message to be heard we want people to see us to hear us and to recognize you know the things that we know and the, the value and the quality that we can provide so all of those strategies for fitting in suddenly become redundant you know my job if you like is to just be me so that those people that don't like me can wander off somewhere else and go and find (laughs) the people that they do like and, and and if i can do if i can just be me and actually put that out there that's a it makes life a lot simpler i don't end up having to change me to fit in with other people around me then you know i don't have to put on a front and i think realizing that I don't know. It's just a bit of a. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a lifting of a burden, isn't it? When you don't realise, oh, I don't have to work quite so hard to make you approve of me. you
0: know? Yeah, absolutely. Take it, take it or leave it, and you know that's exactly. And it's horses for courses, like you say. So, but you ha- like you yeah. didn't go straight into this work because this is kind of what you do today. Tell me about yeah. your, your journey. I know a little bit about this, and I haven't heard it from you. I've heard it secondhand, so I'm curious to see see what you say here.
1: Yeah. Well, I was about twelve, fifteen years, I was a plumber. Um, and, and I say I was a uh, <laughs> I, I always make this <laughs> distinction uh i was a sh- plumber i was a very bad plumber i was not i was not the, the plumber you would want arriving at your doorstep on a monday picture plumbing but then you know like i said i did philosophy at, at university i wasn't i'm not a handyman do you know what i mean but i went into the family plumbing company you know to to make a living kind of thing um and i think it was the the desperate need to do something different with my life other than this thing that was just not fulfilling for me at all and really wasn't my calling um that led me towards you know and i going, going slightly down that rabbit hole of finding out the mind and how it worked and things like that. And it was a very chance encounter, I think, that led me down the road of hypnosis, hypnotherapy and mind coaching. It was just because I had a, an existing interest, I suppose, in all that sort of stuff. Um, and then when an opportunity arose to to do a sort of weekend's training in hypnotism, of all things. I mean, what, where was I in my life that that was like, oh, I've gone trying to be a hypnotist for a weekend. <laughs> I think I think around that time, I also learned to juggle and learned some magic tricks, if you know what I mean. It was, it was that phase in my life, yeah. But hypnosis really resonated with me in terms of how you can change the way you think, the way you feel, the way you behave and you kind of get control of yourself and, and that was a big deal for me at the time. I remember the first course I was on, I was um, it was it was in Swindon of all places, my life changed in Swindon um, and I was in the, the hotel room and I was uh, just by chance, the hotel room I was in was just down the corridor to where the course was being held so I was doing this thing of sticking my head out the door, checking to see if everyone was still mingling, having coffees and chatting. And then when I saw they still were, OK, I went back in the room. I looked out again. No, they're still there. I went back in the room. And it was only when I saw that they'd all gone into the room to start the training that then I went down and quickly signed in and crept in the back of the room because that was that was how I was with people at the time. I didn't want to socialize. I found it very intimidating. Um, and so when I sort of realized what what that was all about in terms of working out how your mind works and things like that and doing the sort of I don't know I hesitate to say the magic of hypnosis but it certainly presented itself that way to me on the on the weekend that yeah it just blew my mind it just changed the direction of my life really um yeah and the the rest is history as they say
0: so tell me then so you did that course What, what happened next
1: what happened next was I then just um I kind of dicked around with hypnosis for a while <laughs> in, a, in a sort of, in a random way. It wasn't like I went straight into therapy. Uh, I make it sound like it was a revelation and I got control of my own mind and helped other people. No, I just stuck people to things and got them to forget their names and things like that. It was just <laughs> it was just silly showy stuff. I, had to, I remember I had a friend, um, Gemma, and she would let me practice on her whenever I learned something new because she was a good responder to hypnosis. She liked being, and she, she enjoyed it. And um, so I was just, you know, doing things just mucking around, learning little hypnosis tricks and how the mind works and that sort of thing. Um, and I remember one day she looked at me and I had her hand stuck to the table in the pub, I think it was. And she said, look, why don't you do something useful with this? And I was like, um, I believe I am. <laughs> Observe your hand stuck to the table. Um, and she said, no, no, why don't you? She, and Her thing was she bit her nails and she said, I don't want to have false nails on my wedding day. Cause she was like a couple of months out from getting married. Um, she said, can you stop me biting my nails? And I was like, oh, I don't know. I've not, know i have not i not really done anything like that before. And she said, um, she said, well, I only realise I'm biting them when I taste blood. You know, she was, and she, I looked at her nails, and you know, when you see someone that's been, this is, this has been worn down over years of biting. You know, they're really sort of ground back. Um, and I said, look, I'm not trained in that. I've no idea how to do it. It probably would be unethical of me to attempt to do something therapeutic. Uh, so let's have a go, shall we? And and we just, we just sort of went for it, probably ill-advised. But I just did what I'd been taught on the hypnosis course, like a stage hypnotist would do it. Almost, you know, I you, hypnotised her. Said, right, when you open your eyes, you no longer bite your nails. You remember you used to. You don't know why you stopped, but you don't do it anymore. Eyes open, wide awake, that sort of thing. And she looked at me and said, "Well, obviously that didn't work." And I was like, "No, it probably didn't. Let's be fair. <laughs> so let's get on with our lives, shall we?" Um, and that's kind of where we went. But then a couple of weeks later, she was said, "Oh, look, Tim. By the way, I forgot to tell you, all my nails have grown back." And. Wow, we hadn't bitten a nail since we did that really silly bit of hypnosis stuff, and I was—I don't know—I was like, "That's just—I've just mimed brains blowing out all over the floor." There, um, it was just one of the most impactful moments of my life. I had to leave the room; I was about to burst into tears because you know that moment when you suddenly realise, "Oh, that feels good. Yeah, that was—that was—I'd like to feel that again." yeah and and that was that's what led me down the therapeutic path and that's when I did more trainings and I got diplomas and did you know I got mentored by um by some people that I really I really admire you know and I just sort of made it a bit of an obsession and then you know within six months from that moment I think it was my full-time profession I just really went hard at it and and got it done you know.
0: Amazing and so so can you I guess this is a question that lots of people may have. I speak as a nail biter myself, actually. Um, can you help people? I'm going to use the word cure. You know, I know that's possibly not appropriate, but yeah. can you sort anyone's problems out? Or is there things you can't? Or is it everything's linked to the mind? Therefore, everything's linked to habits and beliefs. Therefore, we can sort yeah. it all out.
1: I, I think that there's there's no there's not a single human being on the planet that isn't able to learn grow and ultimately change the way they think the way they feel the way they behave what's going on with them you know so we, we constantly update and upgrade our responses we've been doing it ever since we were you know like right back to the first thing we used to crawl around the floor when we were babies yeah and then mm. we learned to walk on two feet and a bit of a somehow registered hey that's easier on my knees and I can get places faster let's just do that from now on you know and so we upgraded and all that's happened is the stuff that so the nail biting or something or the fear of the spider or something like that or the excessive anxiety in social situations at some point we had an experience and we learned that there's something bad about you know situation x And so we started to have an emotional response that would steer us away from that or an emotional response that would comfort us in the face of that or a habit that would in some way divert us away from the thing that we don't want to confront and things like that. So everything is learned anyway. All we're doing is relearning something that we either mislearned or something that doesn't apply anymore. You know, I think when I was at school, it was appropriate for me to be very cautious about what group of people I strolled up to and started chatting with, because I was well aware some of them would be quite negative towards me, some of them would be positive towards me. So the anxiety I felt when I went into a classroom situation and I looked around the room, that was probably justified. Yeah, because when social acceptance is paramount. Okay, that's the most important thing. That's why my anxiety is focusing my conscious attention on this situation right now. But when I, when I left school, that became inappropriate. Now I'm better off going up to people, introducing myself, talking to them, telling them about what I do. You know, in like a I don't know a business networking environment or something. When I'm standing at the front of the room now, I'm talking because I choose to be here, telling people about what I do. Back at school, I was standing in front of the room talking because some, somebody said, "Box, can you stand up and read that passage out?" You know, and I didn't want to, and, and that sort of thing. So it's like. What probably is going on with people is simply an inappropriate pattern of thought or behavior. And we want to kind of get that part of their mind to realize the appropriate thing rather than the inappropriate thing. And everyone has the capacity to do that. Doesn't mean hypnosis or the method I use is going to be the right way for everyone, but it means everyone, whether they can do this particular therapeutic approach or this particular coaching approach, they can all change. It's just about finding the right way for you to do it.
0: I like that. So effectively, what you're saying is that we we learn behaviours that are protecting us at the time, but they become redundant. We just don't let go of them so at a subconscious level,
1: you exactly. know. We, that,
0: which which ties into the analogy that I I want mm-hmm. to come on to because uh, I think it's a great analogy that you used in your your talk, and I know that you use in your work. So yeah. pr- actually, let's tackle that now. So let's talk about you know this. the the ship analogy can you take me through that so if people haven't got it this might cement it
1: yeah okay so this is the way I think of the mind I analogize it like a ship Every ship has a captain and a crew. In this analogy, the captain is your logical, conscious part of your thinking. It's the part of you that knows where you're going, why you're going there, a fair bit about how you're going to get there as well. Um, But unfortunately, the part of your mind that has its hands on all the things that steer and sail your ship, that's the crew, and that's your subconscious. Now, your crew tend to steer your ship by triggering emotions. So if they perceive something to be dangerous, then a member of your crew will create fear in you and you'll feel that particular type of discomfort that encourages you to move away from the danger to return to comfort, yeah? Um, or if it's if you've been wronged, you might feel angry. A bit of you is inspiring you to take action to right the wrong and put, put this life back in order for you, you know? And anxiety is no different. It's simply a bit of you, a member of your crew saying, right, captain, you need to pay attention to this really important thing right now. So it could be something that your crew think you should avoid. It could be something your crew think you should pay attention to, to take care of in best order. Or it could just be a situation that is emerging that you feel, I think I think I need to pay attention over there to that thing that's going on or something like that, you know. Um, but ideally, your crew would just be listening to your captain. You'd say, right, I want to go there and achieve that in my life. And your crew would trigger all the appropriate emotions to steer your ship in that direction. But, of course, we know the crew aren't always triggering the emotions that are going to get us there. In fact, often they're triggering emotions that steer us somewhere else completely. Um, So our job, really, what I do, if, if I had to break it down into a nutshell, is get a really good positive communication between captain and crew so that we get all the benefit of the captain's knowledge, the experience, the logical stuff. Yeah, But we also have the benefit of all the brilliant, amazing powers of our subconscious that can get us Going in this direction or that direction in a heartbeat, just by making us feel a certain way, yeah. So, um, so yeah, you could you could argue that I'm just getting captain chatting with crew. Really, that's that's what we're doing.
0: That's really cool. I like that. It's a really great analogy. One thing I just it, it popped into my head, and I just wanted to check in with you on this. So mm. I said, maybe a couple of questions. I'm a nail biter. Yeah, I've clearly got identity. It just occurred to me. I've created an identity for myself as a nail biter Yeah, yeah. that must be does that come into play in this in this situation as well yeah, or
1: absolutely absolutely so here's the thing we uh, my model of working you have a pattern of thought or behavior that's going on so in your your thing you bite your nails yeah and you might have a pattern of thought or behavior you would prefer where you allow your nails to grow and be beautiful and look wonderful yeah Um, But that should be an automatic upgrade, shouldn't it? Because we can look at our bitten nails and think, well, that's not as good as our nice grown, beautiful nails. Yeah. Um, And that should happen automatically, except for the fact you might have barriers in the way. Yeah. And those barriers take the form of subconscious objections, reasons why you're asking your crew member to do something different. And the crew member saying, yeah, I get it. This looks great. I'd love to be able to provide you with that. But unfortunately I can't because this thing at the moment is true. This barrier that's there. And one of the common barriers that I encounter with people um, is their negative pattern has become a part of their identity. So it's almost like that crew member says, Oh, you want nice, nice, beautiful, you know, grown nails. Unfortunately you can't have that because you're a nail biter. Yeah. And that's, that's, now, how we have to behave. And I see this a lot with anxiety as well, where people say, Well, I can't feel comfortable or confident in that situation because I have anxiety. Yeah, it's like my anxiety disorder is who I am. It's not what I'm doing, it's my identity now. And that can be a big barrier to change where your crew just believe, Well, obviously, we're going to struggle because we have to deal with this anxiety disorder that other people don't have to deal with, you know? And it becomes the thing that holds us in the negative pattern that makes us hold on to our pain, if you like, even though we'd rather shed it, you know?
0: That's a brilliant point to make. And I, I'm glad you brought it back to, to, to anxiety in your talk. So one thing that, that really struck a chord with me, um, and I guess I'd never really seen it in that way before, though probably I knew it, but it's just that anxiety is another emotion. And and this whole thing about I I suffer with anxiety, yeah, well, so does everyone else. Do you know, it's it's a completely, I think the point that you made is without anxiety, without that emotion, we'd probably be in a lot of trouble. And I love that. I don't know if you can
1: talk a bit more about that. Well, I talk about this in the the talk about, I'll often hear people say, I want to get rid of anxiety completely. I want to be free of anxiety because I think they've mistaken those people that don't have an anxiety disorder or don't have high anxiety or panic disorder. They've mistaken them for people that just don't experience anxiety. And that's not true. We all experience anxiety probably on a daily basis because it's one of our emotional responses in the same way that, you know, fear away from danger, anger, right the wrong. Long. anxiety is focus on the important thing that needs to be taken care of now for whatever reason you know we all experience it from day to day it's why i mean i use the, the example in the talk it's why we turn up to the talk to see that it reminds us oh yeah i've got somewhere to be today rather than just sit here doing nothing there's you know the only people that don't feel anxiety dead people and psychopaths that's the two groups of people yeah and don't aim to be part of either of those two groups because that won't that won't lead you to a good place you know um so i think the it's quite. It can be quite a simple process at times to reduce the level of our anxiety, and you know we do that in various ways in terms of recognizing that we're not as under threat as we felt we were at some point, you know. But then there's that danger that one day we're going to wake up feeling a bit more anxious than we did yesterday, and we might make that mistake of saying, "Oh, anxiety is coming back. My illness is returning." Because if anxiety is an indicator of illness, then whenever something important approaches and we feel naturally, as we should, more anxious about the important thing today, then if we perceive that to mean I'm struggling again, then we then might start to feel anxious about how anxious we're starting to feel. And that's when it becomes that feedback loop. I'll often see people, and I'll say, what is it that makes you cause you to feel anxious? And they're like, I don't know, I just feel anxious out of nowhere. I don't have a reason for feeling anxious anymore. What that generally means is the thing we're most anxious about is how anxious we're going to feel today and whether it's going to stop at any time. Yeah. When, when our actual feelings of anxiety are the thing we're most scared of, then we create a feedback loop and we just amplify it, you know, ad infinitum and, you know, so, um, so yeah, recognizing that it's okay to feel anxious about the important stuff. Yeah. That's cool. You could argue in fact that if I have a big concern about my levels of anxiety, what I'm actually doing is a completely healthy response to something I'm very concerned about, which is to feel anxious about it. Yeah, your your, mm-hmm. your mind and your body are working perfectly well. They've just got confused about what anxiety actually means. And as a result have put too much importance on that feeling and as a result of amplified it, you
0: know? Yeah, that's really cool. And I, I was talking to someone the other day who suffers from uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and and mm-hmm. and it, it seems to be very linked to stress. But she, yes. she was, we were talking about your talk and, and she was saying, you know, this, I do get worried about being worried because being worried leads me to, leads you know, it's me aggravates me. my condition. So, wow. so exactly that spiral that you're talking about, that whole, yeah. you know, going down that sort of rabbit hole of, of, of that. So yeah, this, yeah. that's really interesting. And within your TED talk, you made a distinction between suffering from anxiety and managing anxiety. Can you yeah. share but, a bit more about that?
1: Well, what I I actually, the distinction I made was that I still experience anxiety, but I no longer suffer with anxiety. Yeah. And that's, that's an important distinction because yeah, I I feel anxious about things that are important to me because it would be weird if I didn't. Yeah. So for example, there's going to be a fair degree, a a small amount of anxiety about this conversation because I'm talking on a podcast. It's other people are going to hear what I'm saying. I want to get my message right. Yeah. So there's going to be, as I, as I go on the call, you know, I could expect my heart rate to increase a little bit as, as my, my, my system starts to recognize, right, wake up, Tim. You need to be alert because if you're just sleepy and you're not having a, a good day, then you're not going to you're going to kind of convey your message as articulately as if you're wide awake. So that would be natural for me as I'm logging on to feel a little bit of increased heart rate and a bit of nerves. Yeah. So that's appropriate. But what I don't get now is the response of, oh, no here comes my anxiety wouldn't you know it at this time exactly just when I need to be calm and clear-minded here I am getting all anxious again yeah so I I don't do that anymore you know the funny thing I used to run (laughs) I used to run anxiety workshops which you very quickly work out is not a great idea because most people don't turn up to them (laughs) because they're feeling too anxious to to engage yeah and I get that because I was there as well you know that would have been me you cancelling out at the last minute. Um, but I would get texts from people saying, sorry, Tim, I'm not going to make it in today. Wouldn't you know it? My anxiety has flared up this morning. As if it was just this blind sod's law coincidence. Yeah, So you're going to a place that you've never been before to meet someone you've never met before and a load of other people you've never met before to talk about the thing that concerns you the most in your life, which is your levels of anxiety. I think it would be absolutely astonishingly strange if you didn't feel extremely anxious as you were going to this place. Yeah, um, that's that. That would be a healthy response, as far as I can tell, because of course you're going to put a certain amount of importance on this, and you're going to feel a certain amount of anxiety surrounding it. So when I say, and this is the thing, I don't manage my anxiety. I, I experience anxiety. I feel anxious at times. Yeah, that's okay. You know, I don't. I don't manage my happiness. Or you know, things like that. I don't I don't refer to my happiness as something I have. I don't refer to anger as something I have. Yeah. So I don't refer to anxiety as something I have. I'm either feeling anxious right now or I'm not. Yeah. And I know if I'm feeling anxious about something right now, it's for a reason. And I know that it will pass. So I don't need to pay any attention to what my physicality is actually doing about this emotion that I'm feeling. You know?
0: Cool. That's great. Um one thing that, that is interesting to me, and I don't know if you have a view on this, is anxiety's clearly always been around. Like, you know, you said, it's, we've always had it. It's human nature. It's part yeah. of our, you know, keeping alive and keeping safe. But it yeah. feels to me in some ways we're less able to cope today than people were 100 years ago. Um, do you think there's, I mean, guess what do you think about that? Do you think
1: there's any truth to that or, or not? Okay. There are, There's two main reasons. I believe that to be the case. First of all, we're more aware of anxiety as a thing back in the day when I started in this profession about 12 years ago, I didn't get anybody coming to see me saying, can you help with my anxiety, Tim? They would talk about worrying, being concerned, stressed, all that sort of stuff, all the overwhelmed, all the things that we might associate with creating anxiety. Um, but they wouldn't name anxiety as the thing because it's only in recent years since we've got the internet and since we've got a little bit more communicative on social media and there's a little bit more education out there that we recognize anxiety can be a thing that we suffer from in inverted commas yeah so as a result we very we, we much sooner in the process we get anxious about our level of anxiety and we start to look inward is it a malfunction with me yeah or whereas back when i was dealing with it it was just oh you know what i need to learn to deal with social situations a bit better don't i you know because i feel like i'm getting i'm putting too much importance on them etc etc you know but it wasn't like in my rhetoric i was thinking and you know i need to go to the doctor about my anxiety because it's my anxiety levels that's the problem yeah I, i it didn't happen so i think i think we have the potential of becoming that that secondary fear creating that secondary fear as we say that the anxious about the anxious thing yeah Second thing, perhaps most importantly, is that we are not yet evolved to deal with the level of input we are receiving on a daily basis, right? We, as human beings, we evolve over millions of years. Technology has evolved massively over the last decade or two, yeah? And we now have, you know, these phones things that will give us... Loads of information from moment to moment. You know, somebody told me a stat this morning that the average person spends two and a half hours on social media. Okay, we're not used to getting moment to moment updates from every person in our life that we know. That's a lot of information to take in. And also, if any of that information carries some emotional weight for us because it relates to us in some way, either directly or indirectly, now we've got to deal with the emotional response to that information. When that's That's overwhelm defined, isn't it? we're not we're not evolved yet our brains haven't yet evolved to deal with that much information you know i remember watching the old film with david bowie in it the man who fell to earth and he was an alien watching loads of tv screens or like 20 tv screens playing at once we can't do that yeah we we can't take in that information our conscious focus goes on one thing at a time yeah even a juggler only holds one ball at a time yeah that's what we do as human beings yeah so even if we multitask we're only doing one thing at a time if we're asked to take be bombarded by loads of things at once as we seem to be yeah you know what we might feel overwhelmed and we might experience high levels of anxiety as a result of that so that yeah that would be why I think we struggle with anxiety more than we used to
0: I think that's a really good point and the other thing I wanted to ask you before I switch into finding out more about your specific method, which is I'm really interested in, do you mm. think there's gender differences in the way that we experience anxiety? Have you come across that in your work?
1: That's a really good question. That's a really good question. I'd have to think about that a little bit um, because I don't I've not been asked that question before, as far as I'm aware. Um, I will say, okay, I people that come to see me, probably it's about 70% female and 30 percent male. Um, If I've done my maths correctly, roughly, roughly speaking. Um, But on my social media channels, so my YouTube channel, it's about 70% male, about 30% female. So I think we experience how we choose to solve the problem in a different way, if that makes sense, how we engage with it. I know that women seem much more able to say, right, let's go and see somebody. Let's talk about it. I need to share this. I need to, you know, I need to go and get help. Us men, we tend to be, we're less inclined to engage on a one-to-one level. And whether that's because we feel we have to be stronger or, you know, there's a lot of talk about that, isn't that? The whole sort of toxic masculinity thing where we can't say that we're struggling. But also I think there's a propensity for men to want to be given the solution yeah so give me the instructions how do I fix it yeah whereas I think I think females are more willing to say oh I just need to talk about it I just need to share it you know like, I need to know that I'm not the only one I need to be part of a community and, and that sort of thing men we don't tend to we're not enticed by that proposition by the prospect of saying look if you share it you'll find that there's loads of people struggling because we just want to say well, give me the solution if I'll, I'll tell you about it if you then tell me what I do to solve it, tell me the step by step process, you know, and I suspect men as a result are less inclined to seek help. Because I don't know, the media doesn't put out there a lot. Here's how you solve it. Here's what you do about it so that you no longer suffer with anxiety. A lot of the time, anxiety and depression are presented as things that you need to talk about because you're going to be managing this your whole life. You're going to have to you know, engage with groups and processes and things like that. And it's going to be this struggle that you go through your whole life. Whereas ideally as men, we just want to hear like, give me the, give me the fix it and I'll fix it. And then I'll get on with my life without having to manage anxiety and depression. You know? So I think I tend to try and get out there. Look, you can change this. Our job is to reprogram our subconscious. If our crew, going back to that analogy, are sailing the ship in the right direction, there's nothing to manage, yeah, we're just moving forward, enjoying life, and that's why we feel anxious, because our crew have mislearned something, or operating on a principle that no longer applies, if we can learn something better, we can get a solution, and I think men tend to be more engaging with that message, than the find your community, share your journey, you're not alone, sort of message, if that makes sense, that's the only difference I think I've seen, yeah
0: that make and i can see how that would in in a lot of senses be more attractive to a man it because there's a structure around it there's you know there's a there's a practical thing you know i can understand that but that's really cool so let's talk about your method then the control method how did you come up with it and how does it work
1: Right. It, it, how I come up with it, it's very much based on the principles of hypnosis, hypnotherapy. Um, that, that's my training. That's my specialism. So that's where it comes from. The thing that I got slightly um, disenchanted with was the whole, the more traditional old fashioned eyes closed, deeper and deeper. Go to sleep, trance sort of process of it. The stuff that you know, the the stuff that you see on TV and media, and and hypnotherapists still do. You know, lay on the couch, close your eyes, drift off to sleep, and let me fix everything for you. And I got a bit disenchanted with that way of thinking because for me, I want to empower my clients. And every therapist that you see will have that rhetoric. This is you making the changes, not me. Yeah, I don't have a magic wand. It's about your mind doing different things. Yeah, but the hypnotherapy model was very much. And now lay on the couch, close your eyes, drift off to sleep. When you wake up, everything will be fixed. And I don't see that as tremendously empowering. I see that as almost, you know, specifically disempowering in as much as there is the framework that the hypnotist has done the magical hypnosis thing to fix your mind. So the method I use eradicates any trance process and works with direct hypnotic phenomena to establish a connection with your subconscious, with your crew, if you like, yeah? If we can talk to the bit of you that's doing the wrong job and we can get it to do the right job, we can change. And um, when I started to get rid of the trance process, that's when I started to formulate my specific method, step-by-step taking clients through their own empowerment, their own changes. So you could argue all I'm really doing is guiding people through the process that they can then follow themselves after we've done something together you know um and, and it came to be how did I come up with it uh on a beach insanity um you know you know when you go on holiday and then you haven't got to worry about all the detail stuff all the minutiae of everyday existence and those emails and that bill to pay and taking the bins out on a Friday and things like that and you suddenly get your creative side back and, and you have ideas and a client came to see me for a follow-up session and and she'd she'd got part of the way there with her change with the session we did and when she said it wasn't quite you know 10 out of 10 and I was like okay let's work on that today then in this follow-up session and she said to me no no she said I I, that thing that we did together last time I was here I did it for myself and I changed it it's 10 out of 10 now she said "I, I don't need you do I and I was like oh somebody's noticed <laughs> that sort the of thing um and then and I went away and that was like the last session before I went on holiday and so then all my you know my thoughts are processed and thinking look, what's the big picture stuff here and that's when I started to formulate the method as in okay how do I take others through this so that they can then take themselves through it because if you're not asleep having it done to you you might as well do it to yourself yeah and that's why I call the method control because it puts you in control of you and and that's that's the goal here you know, if for everything that people come to me, whether it's now biting, fear of spiders, anxiety, depression, what they really want is control over these things. Because when we get back in control of ourselves, we're now in control of our journey through life and our journey towards happiness, you know.
0: Cool. So effectively, this doesn't sound like a very good business model, Tim. You're basically teaching people how to solve their own problems so that they don't need you anymore.
1: I, I tell you what, though, Sarah, you'd be surprised. There's um, there's no shortage of people that need to get control of certain aspects of their life yeah so this is the thing when when i was taught i was like oh there'll be only a very limited number of people that want hypnotherapy for their issues you know you want you're looking for the broken people the people who are damaged that sort of thing and i don't believe that at all if i was if i was a genie and i leapt from the nearest lamp and said in 10 seconds there i'm going to click my fingers something about you will change something about the way you think the way you feel the way you behave you get to choose what it is but you've got to tell me in 10 seconds exactly now the pressure point there is not oh i can't think of anything what do i want to change i'm happy with me as i am the pressure point is right which, which of all these things that i'd like to upgrade which shall i choose you know and you know and, and most people on the planet will have those things they want to improve yeah nobody's we're not saying anyone's broken but we know we want to upgrade what's our next upgrade going to be yeah so uh, so this is this is why I think it's it's a really good idea to have control of that stuff so you can update your own patterns of response. If you can chat with your own crew in a positive way, you'd be surprised what they can do for you. Just just by being directed, pointing in the right direction, you know.
0: I love this. I actually love the word upgrade. I love that it's like you're just you're, you're resetting your software, which is effectively what it is in, in some senses. Yeah. We've got the yeah. hardware, it's the software that gets bugs in. And yeah, literally, yeah. this is a way of clearing those bugs out and resetting parts that we want to work better. I, I quite like that. I love that, yeah. uh, that analogy.
1: It's not people talk to me about Oh, I want more confidence. I've never been confident when really all the confidence is the absence of insecurities. And insecurities are the things we've learned as we've gone on. If we can remove the stuff we've learned that holds us back, we just return to a natural state of getting on with pursuing the things we want to do. You know, you talk to people about public speaking and you probably encounter a number of people who feel nervous about public speaking. We weren't born with a fear of public speaking. At some point, we've garnered some negative attention and a bit of us have said, keep your head down, don't say anything, don't have people looking at you, you know? And if we could remove those things or certainly have the part of us that is now invested in protecting us from that particular experience kind of loosen the reins a little bit and let us move forward then we get where we're going you know it's like um i i had this my wife brit she's amazing and she said this amazing thing the other day when we were out having a coffee and it was overcast and i said oh come on sun shine through and she said um the sun's already shining it doesn't need to do anything different it's the clouds that need to move yeah and i thought doesn't that perfectly epitomize what goes on with us yeah we're not we're not looking to try harder or must do better if we just remove the stuff that's blocking us, all those beliefs, all those limiting things, the sun shines through, you know, because it, it's there shining behind them anyway, you know. So I thought that was a good way of putting it. Yes, yeah,
0: that's lovely. That's that's really cool. So if you... I, I mean, I get the sense that the method is the same in some ways, regardless of the issue. That yeah. might or might not be wrong. So if, so basically, if, if you were dealing with someone who wanted to, to speak but was overwhelmed with anxiety about speaking you would almost treat them the same way as everyone else in a sense and what advice would you give them
1: um the the thing you got to work out is what's the thing you currently believe And, and it's not easy to work out right because we assume it we've held it for so long as a belief that we've stopped questioning it yeah we know we shouldn't feel this way there's a bit of a saying i think i should be able to stand up and talk about this thing that i'm the expert in without fearing judgment from these people that know less than me. Yeah, but we feel we should be able to do that. But there's a bit of us that's thinking, oh, hang on, I'm nervous. about. I think I shouldn't be doing that. Why are you thinking that? Yeah, so I know what it was for me when I was going into groups, because I'd experienced somebody showing me negative attention and drawing everyone's attention to me in a negative way. And there was a bit of me saying that will happen again. Yeah, it's almost like your mind comes up with the broadest of strategies to protect you from that. Rather than saying, well, that particular situation, that was concerning this subject with that person that you'll never meet again. But, you know, they, they obviously had a, a problem with that. It doesn't do that. It says, right, you talk to people in a group environment. One of them might point at you and laugh, and then everyone else might start laughing. So just don't go into that group environment. Just decide not to go there. That's a, that's a catch-all. We're sorted. No more negative experiences, yeah? Um, but, of course, then it, it also prohibits you from having the positive experiences that come with interaction and and groups and all that sort of thing so the thing we've got to work out is what have you learned that if you were allowed your captain to take a look at that thing they would be able to say no that's not actually true yeah And, and when we work on that when we work out what the the insight is that we need to remove that barrier then you'll be surprised how quickly the barriers fall away when we can kind of connect with that truth on a core level on a crew level, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, so a lot of the work I do, a lot of it is about, okay, let's, let's, what's the truth you need to find here. What's, what's the thing you need to know. So for example, the thing I needed to know it no longer matters whether people like me or not. And actually being able to distinguish between those that like the sort of person I am and those that don't, that's important. That's going to be a value to me. It's going to make life a lot simpler and it's going to make my journey forward a lot easier Because the people that are around me, they've been attracted to the person that I naturally am. Yeah. So I don't know. Don't this will resonate with with anyone listening? But my first marriage, it was the wrong marriage because I had to pretend to be somebody I wasn't to appeal to that person. You know, when you're younger and you're trying to be cool and you're like trying to and you're trying to portray a different version of yourself than you actually are, and that's exhausting. It's difficult to put a mask on every minute of every day for the rest of your life. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. It's not like I was sitting there thinking I am deceiving this woman. She doesn't really know who I am, you know, but you suddenly realize, oh, hang on. The things about me that you like, I don't think they're the things I naturally move towards. They're not my natural characteristics. You know, the person I am, you know, I am a nerd. I am. I am a bit of a geek. I do. I do like things that, that are, you know, probably not that interesting to other people, you know, and I need to be OK with being me. Otherwise, I can't sustain us feeling positive about each other you know what i mean so it's like you know i maintain that my wife brit is the right person for me now because we found each other when we weren't looking for each other so we we just we didn't i wasn't trying to impress anyone i wasn't out on the pool you know i was just being me she was just being her and we were like huh being with you makes life even better than not being with you you know <laughs> and that sort of thing and and it's sort of, we just sort of there was a very it was a freedom to find the right person, you know, and we just naturally gravitate towards each other. So I, but I think, yeah, like I've drifted off on tangent there, haven't I? Um, but you no, know no, I mean? no,
0: no, it makes sense. It makes sense. So it's it's effectively something stopping you from being your true self. There's something in the way, those clouds, and, and it's yeah. pinpointing what it, you know, if you want this and there's something yeah. in the way, it's being able to do the work to find that thing, which is effectively what you're saying, yeah.
1: Cool. It's, you know, it's that thing of, you know, are, are we making this decision because we fear the consequences or because it's what we want? Are we are we going for what we want or simply trying to move away from what we don't want? And a lot of the time, the things that we fear, they're things we had every right to fear in the old days when we were younger or when we were in different circumstances. But now we could probably handle it OK, you know, and, and we, we kind of shy away from it without re-examining the situation. You know?
0: Which ties back into your method, which is about putting you back in control so that you can follow the path you want to follow not get diverted off by your by your crew and and old baggage that you you don't need anymore cool okay so that's brilliant thank you for that and i'm gonna come to i've got a question a quest, couple of questions on speaking and then some standard questions and then i'm going to uh, ask you where people can connect with you because i know that there's going to be a lot of people here that will want to find out more about the control method and you yeah. so um I've mentioned a number of times, I loved the TEDx talk, and, and I noticed in, yes, certainly noticed in the interview you've at least once used the rule of three, which I don't know if you're conscious of, but um, which is a comedy technique. And you used humour and analogy quite a bit in the talk. Mm-hmm. How did you decide where to use them in that talk and how to keep the balance right between that and the very serious message that effectively you were sharing?
1: that's a really good question because i'm not i'm not like a trained speaker so you, you're using terms there as somebody that it's your expert your expertise and it's like okay i, I just know i kind of i think i would have liked it to have been funnier because I feel like when I'm training I, I have a more naturally humorous approach because my, my thoughts are if you're laughing you're probably learning so yeah. Yeah, it's going in if that makes sense so and I think if we're enjoying the process then then we are we're present in it so I, I knew I wanted it to have some degree of humor um but how did I oh that's a really good question and it will you get 18 minutes for a TED talk so you've got to try and take like all the hours and hours of stuff you talk about and um, put it into the 18 minutes of concentrated this is what you need to know and i found it really difficult and i think it was 18 minutes and 10 seconds or something in the end because um i naturally paused a bit long at certain bits but i think there there was one there was a couple of things i nearly didn't put in because they were a bit too talk about doctors and meds and things like that yeah. and i i wasn't going to put it in and then we had this little coaching session which which TEDx Folkestone by the way are superb some some TEDx groups will just say right you're booked be there on the day that's get on with it yeah yeah exactly TEDx Folkestone is not like that they have events running every couple of weeks they get in speakers they get in coaches they we did a improvisational session at one point which was hilarious where I actually uttered the phrase I am a tree and things like that and but um but they did a lot of support one of the things they did was they said right we're going to go around the room and the subject you're talking on I want you simply just to tell me what really annoys you the most Uh. about this subject right now as other people see it and the thing that frustrated me the most was the uh, the idea that we go to see the doctor for anxiety, which is fine. Again, I'm not saying don't go there, go and get the help you need, yeah? But I know that that's where we treat anxiety like an illness, like a medical condition, yeah? And that's, for me, is a mistaken starting point when it comes to treating our emotions, yeah? So, and I spoke about that, and there's a whole sequence in the talk about that. And it was the group, the other speakers that year, that urged me to say what you've just said has to go in the talk because that's important. And I'm, we are interested in that. You know, that's a message that, that will open people's eyes. So I think my inclination was to, you know, pack it full of the lols and just make it a funny little talk about anxiety. But it was the others that said, no, don't be afraid to, to knuckle down to the serious stuff. And I think possibly that's what's resonated so much with people is the, the slightly more serious stuff, because as much as, I, I do like to bring a lighthearted approach. If you, if anyone listens to my podcast, I do with Brit, you know, we do try and be lighthearted about this stuff, but there's a point where it's serious stuff, you know, it's not, it's not trivial. And at some point we've got to bring a little bit more, um, impactful stuff. So how did I decide it? I think, um, I tried to have some sort of structure that was linear. So it started in a certain place and took you through the process. Um, and I think, to be honest, I think anything that was funny in there was just naturally what I say about that particular topic at that time. So it almost came out randomly whether it was going to be a funny moment or a, an impactful moment. But I knew I wanted to end on something and I wanted to bookend it. I wanted to do a bit of, you know, ring composition, as it were. So, because I remember when I was learning the Homeric epics when I was at school, and you would start and finish in the same place almost. So I start the talk by saying, I'm Tim Box and I feel anxious yeah because I knew I would (laughs) I knew I would have a wobbly voice as I said that line as well and then I finished with I feel a lot less anxious now that's over with sort of thing you know and that kind of thing because I thought it was important to finish on a personal note start and finish on a personal note but apart from that it was a a, a fair amount of random thoughts that just managed to line up in the end I think that
0: was really good it was really well balanced and and I'll put a link to it and uh You know, as I said to you, I gave a little sort of a spotlight on your talk in my in my newsletter to my people who are on my email list. And so a couple of things. I love the way you started with the personal thing and people might expect you to be an expert. So the fact that you sort of said, I'm anxious, you know, I've got I've got it like everyone else is a bit of a bit of a thing. But then you did that sort of really great opening joke. It's what we we call a bonding gag. So you said, I felt anxious. And then you went into three things that you felt anxious about. And two of them were quite sort of serious things. And then the last one was tripping over the rug on the way in, which is exactly how, Mm -hmm. you know, you do the rules three. So things in a pattern and then the last one fits, but is is funny anyway so there's lots of good stuff in there Go and have a have a listen and a watch of um tim's talk when you get the chance good and so how does speaking fit into growing your audience and business and getting people interested in the control method
1: i would say to, public speaking is it's what i say to my practitioners when they're when they finish their training i'm like right get out and tell people what you do now because that's that's what's going to build your business and i built it absolutely doing a lot of public speaking, um, be it at networking events, or be it, I speak a lot of um, international hypnosis conferences as well. There's a lot of those, you can do them a lot easier now because they're all online. Um, I'm I'm doing one in Brazil at the weekend from, (laughs) from Kent. There's a mentor of mine, a guy called Bob Burns, a Scottish guy, and his whole business model is meet the people, meet the people, meet the people. And you can meet a lot more people if you talk to large groups of people at once rather than having to meet them one-to-one. So that's what has caused me to do a lot more work on my, my YouTube channel. And I do a lot, I put like three videos up every week there because it helps get my message out there. Um, yeah. And, and it's just every opportunity that I have to talk to people um, it, it's just, it's everything it, it, you know, I would say it's the single most important part of my business is talking to people about my ideas and what I do. Uh, and you, you've got to get out there and, and convey the message, you know?
0: Absolutely. That's brilliant. Okay. I'm obviously on board with that. And everyone take that on board. Speak yeah. it. For me, speaking is marketing. That's why I call it marketing. You, you've got yes. to get out there, you know. Oh, yeah. So anyway, good. Right. Okay. So I have some standard questions for you before right. we switch into how people can find out more about you. Um, I guess I think we've just literally covered this. The first question is what's the best thing speaking has done for you? But I think you said that is getting your message out there to people um, Absolutely. Ha- have you had a, a speaking gig that was awful and you're just like oh my god that was terrible i never want to live through that again any I of those
1: i i have i'm sure i have but i'm i'm that person that finishes and thinks yeah that was okay went well went well and it's only like a few <laughs> weeks later that you look back on it and think no, that was that was awful wasn't it i actually uh <laughs> i made a bit of a that was a, why did i talk about that thing why did i crack that joke in that company or something like you know what i mean but actually the one that i remember because i was not i shouldn't have been there but i did um an international um bni networking conference and myself and the person i was working with at the time zoe clues who's a, a colleague in harley street and we were just doing more um we wanted to do kind of Darren brown type thing where we were a little bit you know Kind of mind coaching stuff, kind of like positive message stuff, but was kind of like the trickstery stuff, a bit of mentalism. And we did, we did like a, we were the entertainment at the end of the night, sort of thing at this conference. And it was just, you know, it it was just diabolical. It was, uh, we wandered off, and Zoe whispered to me, and the crowd went mild, and and that summed (laughs) it up thoroughly. You know exactly what it was. It was like, no, we shouldn't have done that, should we? That was. uh, (laughs) I think they were, they were a cross between between bemused and vaguely offended that we thought we were entertaining but um you know you live and learn
0: uh, uh, it's probably probably the, the end of the evening they've probably been packing away a few few drinks you know I say yeah, yeah yeah okay next question um what's the one book that you've read that's had most impact on your life and why
1: wow that's Crimes, cr- they the big questions, aren't they? To just sum up in you know, like, what's your favourite song of all time? It's like, um, okay, the one I tell, the one that's jumping into my mind that I'm recommending to everyone at the moment, and I think is pivotal and is an important work, is a book called Lost Connections by Johan Hari, which is about depression, and it tells the story far more eloquently than I can about why. Depression isn't caused by a chemical imbalance or a genetic malfunction. It's caused by all of those other influencing factors that you go through in life. And, and I find it incredibly empowering when we get the message that, okay, we thought we were locked in here. We thought it was like a malfunction of my mind. No, no, no. It's what you've been through. If we can, or, or the situation you're in at the moment, there's external forces. And I think it just, it really beautifully educates you from the position of somebody who's dealt with depression all his life it's a really nice journey he goes on of investigation and discovery about maybe the story we've been told about depression and the way the mind works and to a fair degree anxiety as well he talks about Um, it has a very a very eye-opening message I think it's worth it's worth anyone dealing with any sort of emotional difficulty that's been told the story that this is the way you're wired or you you have this disorder. It's it's a real, I think it's a hopeful message in terms of what we can do and what we can influence. You
0: know? Brilliant. I'll put that, a link to that in the show notes as well. So Lost Connections by Johan Hari. Yeah, that's it. Cool. Okay. What's the best bit of business advice you've had and why?
1: Oh, you know when you're like why did you not show me these questions earlier <laughs> <laughs> I,
0: could have I don't give these ones advice. out
1: um okay honestly the best bit of business advice was a guy called Hamish McKay Miller um rung me up on a complete cold call no actually I, I rung him up to put an advert in his magazine about hypnotherapy when I first started my business and he said you know what you should do you should come to our networking group and come and meet people and talk to people And which was a challenge for me at the time, because I was still, you know, just mm, slightly socially anxious still at the time. Um, And it was the best advice anyone had ever given me because I started to talk to people about what I do. And it was networking that, I mean, only a very slim amount shy of 100% built my business um, to, to what it could be, you know.
0: Fantastic. Okay. So, so come and tell people about it. That's the, that's the one. Cool. Now, last question. Yeah. If you could have one mentor and they can be alive or dead, fictional or non-fictional, who would you choose and why?
1: Fictional or non-fictional? Yeah. Uh, I've got I've got to say Steve Rogers then, Captain America.
0: <laughs> cool.
1: I feel, I feel if anyone listening to this who knows me, uh if I said anything at that point other than Steve Rogers, then it would just they'd be like, no, you were lying to him. You're trying to sound intelligent and cool. And yeah. Excellent,
0: so like are you a proper America. comic, Marvel comic, or is this Marvel movies?
1: Marvel movies, to be fair, I was more DC comics, but I love what the, the Marvel, the MCU have done with with the stories, and, um, you know, in particular, the way, the way, I never liked Captain America as a character, I feel we've just gone into comic talk now, so apologies for <laughs> those people that are wondering why we're talking about it, but... Um, Chris Evans's portrayal of, of Captain America and the way they, because th- I'm a big Superman fan as well, because I'm a firm believer that the superpower is, is your, is your integrity, is your strength of character, and that's that's what I always talk to people about with Captain America, because I do talk about it a little bit in terms of character and and you know resilience and things like that. That's his strength of character, it isn't the super soldier serum? It's that he has you know unshakable virtue and he will always do what's right. And yeah. You know, in some small way i try to hold those principles uh, myself you know i love not, that not to, not to quite the same level as uh, you know <laughs> <laughs> on the scale but
0: <laughs> no but that's that that captain america that origin story of him keep going back keep going back you know being the smallest keep going back it's his heart yeah you know, that's what's gone through you know exactly. so yeah no i love that that's cool yeah. that's cool brilliant <laughs> okay so i'm um, a bit of a i'm a marvel geek comic i love all that stuff yeah yeah it's cool um good right so where can people connect with you find out more about you and the control mess where's the best place for them to go
1: there's two places they can, obviously you can use your social media you can find me on instagram find me on facebook Timbox, etc um and you can message me there and talk to me there um but the two places that have the best information finding out about my method is the website, thecontrolsystem.co.uk. Um, but at the moment, I would, I would urge people to head towards my YouTube channel, um, Timbox Mind Coach. Because I upload stuff there every week, and a lot of content goes up there. And the sort of stuff we're talking about in terms of insights, ways of thinking slightly differently. There's a lot of self-help available there just by listening to the ideas discussed. And you can also kind of expand on that theme if they want to check out uh, my podcast, which is <laughs> Thinking Outside the Box with Tim and Brit Box, and also. You get um, you get Brit's perspective as well my other half Brit because she has she's a very fierce mental health advocate. She's also done a TED talk about depression and she comes with a lot of personal experience and a lot of value that that is above and beyond you know my understanding and my perspective. So we, we have quite a good complementary dynamic there. Um, but yeah if that isn't too much that I've given you there in terms of
0: No, no absolutely fine. That sounds great. I will put all of those links in the show notes too. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And really. I, I love your message and I love your style as well of, uh, of delivering that message. So really appreciate all you shared today.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me on, on your podcast.
0: Welcome. I love Tim's personality and laid back style. He's got something important to say and you can tell that he cares passionately about making a difference to people with anxiety. But he also doesn't take himself too seriously. And there's a humility about him that makes him very likable. It does come across that he cares about his message, but he doesn't care what people think about him, which makes him all the more authentic and powerful as a speaker. Do go and check out all his stuff and his YouTube channel, especially if anxiety is getting in your way. Well, that's it from me. Do go and check out the Snackable Story Challenge as I'd love to help you move forward in your speaking this year. And if you enjoy the show, but you haven't yet left a rating or review for The Speaking Club, then please do head over to ratethispodcast.com slash TSC and take a couple of minutes to do it. I really would appreciate that. Thanks again for joining me. I'll be back soon to share some more insights, tips, tools, and stuff about growing your audience and business with speaking. And in the meantime, you know the drill. Don't you forget to go out and And grab your life by the nuts and get cracking. Bye-bye. If you want to be more memorable and engaging when you talk, then you need to share more stories. Stories can help you better connect with your audience and their problems and get them leaning in more powerfully than anything else. And short snackable stories are great to use in pitches, Facebook lives, podcasts, videos, keynotes, webinars, blogs, in fact, everywhere to share your message and grow your business. The trouble is that finding your snackable stories and confidently sharing them can feel like a struggle. And that struggle can slow you down or stop you in your tracks. But that's where my free snackable story challenge comes in. Over the course of just five days, I'm going to give you resources, training and coaching to help you find your authentic personal stories to share and build your skills and confidence in sharing them. Not only that, but the challenge will guide you towards a tangible result at the end and assets for you to use going forward. The next challenge is starting soon. So to grab your space, go to saraharcher.co.uk slash challenge right now.